Welcome, everybody, to episode number 14 of the Goulet Pen Cast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. And I am Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential, and extraneous, superfluous, and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to talk about our experience each using the Twisby Swipe for the past week. Which pens are great for teachers since the school season is starting up here in the U.S. at least. And our perspective on conscious consumption as an online retailer. What is that about? I'm sure Brian will have a very short answer for that one. That's that's deep dive chum right there. That's just like luring me in. So we'll get into that. But first, we're going to start off with some feedback. Drew, what have the people been saying? Well, I got one little bit of feedback on a different video, not necessarily on last week's podcast. But we it was a slice from an earlier podcast where Brian and I discussed how our perception of fountain pens and their place within the world has changed in the last 10 years since we've been working here. Um, and in that, I, I mentioned that one thing I've learned was that you never really know how much space the hobby or even one particular pen is kind of occupying in a person at a given time. Sometimes, you know, the hobby might be occupying a little bit. Sometimes, depending on life circumstances, it could be occupying a lot. And we got a... Uh, comment that really spoke to that Sharon on YouTube says I use journaling as part of my rehab after having a stroke three years ago I had just gotten my first fountain pen and started using it every day to regain my dexterity and document my recovery now I journal daily plus learning how to draw and sketch I'm also learning to add watercolor it had been it it would have been a very sad case without pens inks and journals and a greater sense of possibility. They have literally helped me get through the hardest period of my life. Great video. And wow. And you and I have seen this many times, Brian. Like even you know mm-hmm. and then you know Sharon that's thank you so much for sharing that that's that's tremendous, but you know she's not alone. There have been a ton of people that have let us know over the years that fountain pens Sometimes even one fountain pen has completely been responsible for or seemingly been responsible for getting them through a really, really rough part of their life. So we take that very seriously here. And Brian and I, everybody at the Goulet Pen Company are just humbled and honored to be even a little bit of a part of that. So I just thought that was really nice to read. Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you the number of stories that I've heard like that where just at specific instances with things that people have gone through in their lives you know whether it's just the fountain pens themselves or you know the content we've been putting out and just them having a community to come to and just a bright spot in their life what a difference that's made for them uh it has been a continuing theme ever since we started this business and it's you know not like the sole driving factor of why we do everything but it certainly is like silver lining to everything we do uh, and a super rewarding aspect to just being in the fountain pen business. So always honored to hear about those stories. Thank you, Sharon. Absolutely. And then on a uh, much more serious note, Brian, we have just mm. dis- we have discovered not really uh, we have discovered that those burger diapers that we talked about. Um, <laughs> yes, they are. Yes. De- they are definitely a thing. They are definitely being manufactured currently. And um, like burger diapers, like a trademarked. No, they're they're not called. They're not called. Or? They're not called burger diapers. But the, there could be something there. there could, I'm just saying. The, no, I don't think I want to put my mouth anywhere near anything that has diaper in it. Um, but it's know. definitely a thing. And we had a bunch of people reach out and let us know it's a thing. So 
somebody might be getting one for Christmas if he plays his cards right. So uh, we'll see. Hey, oh. I would put that thing to use. I'm sure. I'm sure. Brian, have right. you heard any feedback this week? I do have some feedback, actually. Um, so Mary Ann Hummel on YouTube said the E95S, Pilot E95S, which we brought up before, is such a cool pen and all that, Brian said. I have a second one on my wish list. So props to you, Mary Ann. I think, uh, you know, you pretty much summed it up right there. It's a great pen. Uh, Juan Cisneros, Cis- Cisneros on YouTube uh, said, maybe Brian can send... There's a lot packed in this one. I'll just warn you. Okay. Maybe Brian can send a request to Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson if he'd entertain the thought of selling his Namiki Emperor. I highly doubt that. But that would be amazing on many levels. Um, also, I feel Brian's pain in regards to the above-ground pool maintenance. I'm battling leaks as well with my pool. Well, I was going to save this for the personal update, but I have at least temporarily won the battle. I did get the pool finally plugged up, and the kids like four or five hours a day in the pool because they start school next week so it's still summertime it's been blazing hot they have been loving it so i'm like okay that was worth it anyway next he says that's an awesome thing that you do for employees by giving them those mental health half days to unplug and unwind so we mentioned that in our personal message in the newsletter that you know i think we i guess we mentioned it in the pencast last week too um but yeah we did take a half day last friday it was really good it's just been so stressful with everybody in their personal lives this week specifically has been ridiculous for me and rachel but we are getting through it all so just one way that we can support our team and happy to do it and then also a question packed in here any plans to carry other unique nib sizes for the lamy 2000 like obliques and double broad nibs so i wanted to mention this just because we did carry them once we had special ordered them just like we had with the nibs when i mentioned the 14k nibs um which actually drew i i think reflecting on it i may have misspoke last week so this is part of why i wanted to mention it too i think the 14k nibs are easy to get it's the lamy 2000 spare nibs that we had special ordered a couple years back that was the absolute nightmare to coordinate so when you brought it up you were like actually we carry these on our website currently i was like really I was mistaken. I was thinking the Lamy 2000 nibs, not the regular Lamy 14K gold nibs. Yeah, I don't so, think we ever like actually stocked the Lamy 2000 whoops. nibs. We did one special order for them, and yeah. we did stock them once. But, uh, well... No, we never had them that, listed on the site. Yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. See, I'm getting fuzzy now because it's been a while. Um, we did try to special order them but it was too complicated and then we also talked about how we would need to educate folks in the installation and how difficult that would be yeah and that was a nightmare but we we did special order the other nib sizes some obliques and double broads and things like that. yeah we had those for a little while so i got some wires crossed i was thinking that was the 14k nibs but it was actually full-on lamy 2000s with atypical nib sizes i'll call them yeah um that is what i was recalling so my bad for being completely i want to say that you all you uh you might have kept one personally from that shipment don't you have an oblique 2000 i kept one of every size you did yeah yeah i I remember because i wanted to have on hand all these special sizes so we did that once it was really difficult to coordinate took a long time and surprisingly the demand was not that high they were kind of hanging around for a while and people just didn't really want the the obscure sizes and i'll say like in terms of obliques and how they go it wasn't that oblique like it wasn't enough of a difference of a nib grind to warrant all the extra trouble so we decided after we did that initial stock we would not restock so unless 
Lama USA decides to like bring it in as a regular item, which I doubt. Um, I don't think we'll have them again, but you never know. So anyway, I do have them, but that's that's what we got for feedback this week. Now we got some new stuff moving along to that. So I'll start off by one of the more exciting ones, personally, I think. That's is right. A new, tw- a new Twisby, which is always exciting, but it's a blue Twisby, which is even better. Um, it is the Twisby 580 ALR Navy Blue. So they just announced it. I don't know exactly when it's coming. I want to say next week, maybe, but who knows? We're just reading articles about like the highest number of freight containers sitting off the coast of California that have ever been. (laughs) I think it's like 44 cargo ships are sitting off the coast of Long Beach waiting to be unloaded at the docks. It's just this delays of COVID stuff as well as a lot of retailers and stuff getting stocked up for the U.S. holidays. Apparently, a third of all of the products imported into the U.S. come through either the Long Beach or the L.A. ports. So they're getting backlogged. That's undoubtedly part of what causes some of our delays with some of our products. Um, so, And there's just more of that craziness that's coming. So I don't know if that's going to have anything to do with the 580 ALR Navy Blue, but... Twisby comes from Taiwan. That's exactly the shipping route that it would go coming into the U.S. So I think they're coming next week. Not 100% sure, but it's it's a it's a blue anodized, um, dark blue anodized Lamy. Sorry, Lamy. Twisby 580 ALR, which is the one that has the textured grip. So I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but me personally, I think it's cool. I'm not like in love with the texture i probably wouldn't pick it if i could get it also get a smooth grip but i it will not keep me from acquiring this pen i am going to get one because i like it a lot do you think that this was this is going to be more popular than the prussian blue because the prussian blue 580 alr which was the last uh 580 alr they did was massively popular sold out very it quickly was. i think the restock sold out quickly it was mm. hot 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 it was a very popular pen. I legitimately don't know. It's so tough because navy blue in general, I think, is a very universal, very popular color. But dark teals generally do really well in the fountain pen world. So I don't know. I would say maybe not I would, for us. I would also say... Twisby, yeah, Twisby as a whole, like globally, maybe navy would be more popular. But for us, I think we might have more of a dark teal crowd. So I would love to get feedback on that if you are watching this and you've had, uh, you know, you laid eyes upon, or if you own a uh, Twisby 580 ALR Prussian blue and then you see the navy blue, which one do you like better? I'll, I'll make sure you we get images up. We have a stock image of the uh, the new blue one, so it's not the best thing in yeah. the world, but it'll do. Well, you can, definitely enough yeah. for you to have an opinion. I mean, who needs any? Who needs actual context to have an opinion these days? Not me. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> no, you can just read the headline and give your opinion. Yeah, no, TLDR. I, I do think that <laughs> I do think that the color of the Prussian blue is a more unique color. Like I saw that color, I was like, wait, mm. what? What is that? That's a that's a True. that's a new color, and that just doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, true. There is definitely an aspect of when there is something that is unique, but that doesn't always mean that it's unique for a good reason. I think the Prussian blue obviously is is great and unique in a good way. Yeah. I think there's other things that have come out that are unique and it's like, oh, I would when no one wants that. That's why it's unique. Yeah. Because <laughs> nobody makes That's it. That's true. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bust on you for your brown pens, Drew, but you know, that is that is some of what jumped into my mind. But I'm thinking like chartreuse colored pens, generally speaking. There are not a lot of them. 
but you know, sometimes they're popular, sometimes they just aren't. You know, it's a reason you don't see a lot of like pea green, you know, colored pens. They just really don't do very well. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, what do you got, Drew? Um, new stuff. Nothing big. It was actually kind of a slow week for new releases, but we mm-hmm. did launch, and I spoke about this in a prior pencast we launched the private reserve pearl essent line of ink so this is private reserves first foray into first foray that's a redundancy anyway it is their right foray is that an initial does that word mean inherently initial can you have can, like an, can you have a second foray or does foray mean your first entrance into something or you can have multiple actually forays. a great question can you jump i think of a foray foray is like an entrance but i you know what it's one of those things i've only ever heard in context i've never actually looked up the definition i've only ever heard it used so like when it's, you keep talking right. you keep talking i'm gonna look it anyway up. it is their first entrance into the pearlescent genre of inks so there have been other ink companies that have brought out some pearlescent versions in the past and brian looks like he has something to say so yeah, so the uh, first definition that comes up for foray is a sudden attack or incursion into enemy territory, <laughs> okay. especially to, ob- to to obtain something, a raid. Okay, maybe I didn't use the proper word. This is their introduction into... Intr- anyway, they're doing pearlescent inks. Yay! Um, if pearlescent inks aren't necessarily your thing, if you've tried them and you're not a big fan, I would still encourage you the next time you might be picking up some ink samples pick up one of these because they're unique in the pearlescent ink world the particulate that makes them shimmery is very very fine like a dust and it uh it stays suspended in the ink a little bit longer i mean it definitely settles like everything else but when you write with it it's more evenly distributed than a lot of other shimmery inks that i've tried and it dries yeah. insanely fast too, like disturbingly fast, like faster than some inks that are marketed as fast dry inks. You can, like, if you take a cotton swab and you wipe it on a whole full soaking wet cotton swab, stroke it across the paper, you can see the ink dry. It'll be wet and then just gone, and you can rub your hand on it. It's kind of freaky. So, I wonder why that is. I don't I know, what... man. I think because it's mo- it's like maybe mostly particles and not mostly water-based ink i don't know i mean you you and i both experience a number of pearly shimmery kind of inks i mean i don't i don't know if i know like one specific pattern or trend with their dry time or anything like that i'm trying to think because i'm thinking like robert Oxtos a bunch diamond shimmertastic obviously the jacquerbond 1670 in the 1798s now you have these pr ones there's some others like Diatramentus. So there's a number of them out there now. Maybe, maybe. I'm thinking like. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, it's interesting enough to give hmm. it to give it a shot. I'm not a huge fan of pearlescent inks myself. I don't use shimmery inks in my everyday fountain pen life. But, oh, neither do you, Brian. Um, <laughs> um. <laughs> no, not in your everyday writing. You try them when they're new and exciting. But other than like. I go back to Emerald of Shavor. Okay, yeah, you're that one's that one's in my staple rotation. Okay, fair enough. I take it but back. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I have primarily shimmer inks loaded up in my pens. Oh, no oh goodness, no. But maybe, maybe like if you take the number of shimmering inks that are out there proportional to the number of inks as a whole, I probably have my pens inked with a shimmer ink to about that ratio. Maybe. I don't know what that ratio is, but okay. 
I don't know, 10%? You think you... Something like that? I wonder how many... There's a lot of Shimmertastics. I don't know. No, that's true. Anyway, it's interesting. Hmm. Check it out. I'm curious how many of our inks are shimmering inks now. Like, I've really got myself thinking. Somebody's going to be able to look this up after the fact and look really smart, and I can't come up with it on the fly. That's fine. We're not here to look smart. I look less smart. That is very true. I think we have proven that after 14 episodes. The point of this is not to prove our smartness. All right, I'm going to see pigmented. No, shimmer. Here we go. How many shimmer inks? 184 shimmer ink. Wow. And 1633. Now, so this does not... This does not account for different bottle sizes. This is like every individual SKU that we have. Oh, okay, including so samples? We could have, no, this is not including samples. Okay. But it does include bottles of different sizes. So, yeah. That's, there's more research required there. That's but still probably that's over close, 100. Close enough to 10%. No, that's a lot. Somewhere thereabouts. Yeah? All right. More than you would think. More than a few years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Back when it was just Rouge Hematite. Right? That was like a decade ago gosh that came out in 2010 wow that was a while ago anyway um okay let's move on to some q and a questions drew you get to kick out the first one it's time for q and a all right well we are going to kick things off with david c hoffman 23 from the instagrams and david asks a fairly common question but nonetheless we're going to tackle mm. that david asks how to store fountain pens for overseas travel so brian you've actually answered this one a few times yeah we have done some other videos on these um we have it in our fountain pen 101 series i think we might have done it a couple of times um and then we've answered it several times over various q a questions over the years and we may have sliced them out so we probably have i don't know a half dozen videos or so out there kind of addressing this um you know this is just one of those funny things i think it's a lingering assumption about fountain pens more so than it is based on like reality of what actually happens. Uh, I think back when fountain pens were more common as a writing instrument and you had, you know, larger pens with ink sacks and things like that, just different filling mechanisms that were more susceptible to pressure changes combined with an overlap of the rise of air travel with, you know, kind of the everyday, uh, you know, commuter business people and, and so on. Um, I think you probably saw an overlap there where there was less like cabin pressure control and more susceptible fountain pens that just created that situation to happen. And it was probably just memorable when it did happen. And in fact, I think there was even kind of a joke with uh, a Mont Blanc or something with Steve Martin. Like he was flying and had like a Mont Blanc in his pocket and he was going like this and had like a big ink splotch like all over his pocket. You know, I don't know whether that was staged or real or whatever. I think it may have been staged. It may have been just a, a joke, right? But I think something like that sticks in people's memory. And then they're like, they just assume that fountain pens are going to leak everywhere if you fly with them. But I got to say, after being in this thing for over a decade, having flown quite a bit myself with pens, and not even quite a bit like trying to protect my pens, I have intentionally done everything wrong with my pens, trying to see how badly I could get them to leak on a plane. And I've just never had anything that dramatic happen, like almost to the point where I'm disappointed. So I really just don't think the average person needs to be greatly concerned about it. I think it's, you know, there are some some general principles, right? So when you are... Um, uh, let's see here. Oh gosh, I'm going to get it mixed up. It's either it's ascending or descending. You're losing pressure when you're ascending. So it's only when you're ascending, you have greater pressure inside the pen, 
right? And up to when you ascend to about 6,000 feet, because that's about where most planes are pressurized is to about the 6,000 foot level above sea, sea level. So depending where you're flying from and all that, it may or may not be that dramatic of a change, you know, maybe a little bit, but basically once you're above 6,000 feet, your air pressure is not changing at all. Um, and when you're descending, you're getting more pressure. So, you know, any pressure differential that there would be, the pen would actually have more of a like vacuum and it would actually force the ink to go into the pen huh. and not out of it. I did not know that. Um, yeah. Well, if you think about it, if you're going one direction, the ink is forced out. When you go the other direction, the ink would be forced back in, right? Yeah. Um, that's how it works. So, it, um, but it all has to do with air pressure, right? So basically, if you don't want to have to worry about it at all, well, first off, if you don't have your pen inked up, there's nothing to leak. So that's rule number one. Any pens you don't need to have inked, just don't ink them. Clean them before you get on the plane and you're good to go. Or just fill your pen all the way and don't have a lot of air inside the pen body with the ink and there's nothing to change because ink is mostly water. Water does not change volume under pressure. So there's nothing to change. So whatever little bit of air might be in there, it's not going to change enough to force that ink to go anywhere. So if you have your pen completely full, you basically don't ever have to worry about it at all. But if you really want to be super cautious, what you can do is just try to make sure that your nib is stored up so that any any change in air pressure it would just come out of the nib rise up and all the ink would sink down into the back of the pen and then you would not have any type of massive leak at most you might get a little bit of spurt or a little splatter or something like that just based off of whatever was in the feed um but that's that's about it so like to whatever degree you feel you need to go through all this you know go for it but i have taken like 20 pen case you know you know 20 pens and you know me i love to ink up just friggin every pen that i have so i've had like 20 pen cases that i've just shoved in my backpack and i've thrown it around and put it under the seat in front of me and jostled it and done literally nothing to protect it whatsoever special to being on a plane and never really had dramatic leaks at most i might have to like wipe a little bit of ink off the nib or the grip when i get there with a tissue at the hotel or something and it's four seconds of inconvenience and I'm on my way. So I just don't think you have to really worry about it that much. Yeah, that, that, that's opinion. been my experience as well. Like the worst case scenario, a little bit on the nib, maybe a little bit on the grip, like some spritzing or something like that, which honestly would be yeah. the same thing if you just, you know, jostled it a little bit in your, you know, bag or backpack or pocket. So honestly, as long exactly. as you're treating it as you would, if you were, you know, just carrying it around on terra firma, that you'd, you'll probably be just fine. There you go. Good stuff. All, All right. right. The this, next question. Oh, sorry. No, this is you next. Yeah, I was going to say, you trying Go to for take it. over my question? <laughs> All right. This is from Toxmot on the IGs as well. What journals are you currently using and which notebooks are your favorite? So I thought that was a nice little point in time question for you. Yeah. Um, my favorite, I mean, I like all the paper we sell. We like, you know, even, even like I carry my rickshaw everywhere and I even have a little field notes here that... I don't particularly care for the paper, but I use it and it's fine and it has its purpose. And I think that all the paper we sell, like I'm kind of of that opinion on. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in fact, if you find a, you know, like this notebook, I got this uh, Pinboy Roy gave me this because we're both nerds and fans of the Uncharted video game series. And this is like his journal, like the character's journal. Um, the paper's not amazing, but it's fine. And, you know, you just kind of change around your ink and your pen to suit the paper. If you're in love with the type of paper, you mm. can generally find a fountain pen that's, you know, at least okay with it. So I've been using this a lot, actually. Um, 
I started off as a gardening journal and then wrote some toy accordion songs in here as well. And then um, <laughs> yesterday I did this. Uh, I, I, I wrote all of the... I was I'm making my way through all the Marvel movies, right, in chronological order. So mm-hmm. while I was watching Thor 2, which I think is kind of one of the worst ones, I mm. was on Rotten Tomatoes, and I wrote down all of the Rotten Tomatoes scores for every movie because I'm, I'm going to try to rank them. I'm like, all right, I'm going to rank these mm. things. After I'm done, I'm going to watch 24 movies, and I'm going to rank them. Drew's ranking. And I tried to do that just kind of because I've seen them all multiple times already, and I tried to do that, and I, I just I, I couldn't. I, I suck, Brian, because I'm such a dork. I love them all so much. I tried to give them all like scores from one to five, and I only gave threes, fours, and fives. I couldn't do any ones or twos because they're just I love them all so much. But anyway, I think you should call. I think you should call your awards the Droobies. The Droobies. I like that a lot. Yeah, basically, oh, hey. everybody wins. You're all wonderful. Yay! So, I'm, hey, Drew, uh, that that freight delivery that I mentioned off camera. Is uh, currently here. Okay, so go do that. We're gonna pa- pause for a hot second, and we'll come. I'll come back. <laughs> all right, Brian, you get everything taken care of. Yes, it's all good. Good job. Yes, good job. Thank you. Very exciting. It's one of those things where like they're supposed to deliver it a couple of days ago, and then it got delayed, and then it's like the worst time. But thankfully, there's a break in the weather. By the way, we have like Hurricane Ida coming up the East Coast, and we're gonna be getting some of that today in Virginia. So right now we have a break in the weather, but I've been watching the forecast. It was like, hey, Drew, can we record a couple hours earlier? Because we might get into a storm and possibly lose power. And then that's a whole thing. So anyway, lots of excitement happening here. Yay. Um, anyway, so delivery is good. Everything's OK. And we can Excellent. keep on talking about um, journals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the other one that I use on a regular basis is this thing. It's like a wax canvas, um, hmm. you know, sort of travelers-esque book that I got from the Raleigh Pen Show a few years ago from the Franklin Christoph table. Um, we don't sell these, but we have the traveler's books, which do the same thing. A lot. You can get pretty much a traveler's-esque book anywhere these days. Hmm. But um, I, I originally started off having this thing somewhat organized, having like, okay, the first book in here, which is a goulet notebook mm-hmm. and the second one which is the franklin christoph one that it came with and the third one which is a traveler's brand um started off like okay this one's a personal thing this one's a work thing and then there's random and then they all just became random so yeah yeah that's kind of not so great about that but this is where i put all the hypotheticals in so i am organized in oh, that regard okay so that's um, very this, important. This, this one did not come with any uh didn't come with any bookmarks though so i had to add my own little leather leather things here gotcha yeah, I've got a similar format there. I've got the Midori Travelers, you know, the regular style. I've been using this for a while. Uh, and I'm kind of the same way with you. I have three different notebooks in it. And I had like one dot, one lined, you know, whatever. And then I keep a third one that is essentially whatever of the two that is like the most full. I add that that same one as the third one. Because what happens when I fill a notebook, especially something I'm carrying around with me a lot if I take out the insert that I've just filled up, well, those were like the notes I took, you know, yesterday or that morning, I might still need to reference those. So I'm not quite ready to like retire it yet, you know? Mm. And so I like to carry it around for at least a little bit. So it, it tends to be me. I have like basically like a, a business and then a personal, you know, kind of in the two different ones. And then the third one is Whatever one of them I have filled up most recently, I add the third one of that same style 
And then when the other one fills up, I then cycle out the duplicate and, and kind of keep it going that way. So I have a little FIFO type of, uh, <laughs> type of inventory system nice. in my notebook. No, that, makes a, that makes a lot of sense. It generally works okay, except my syndrome, I don't know how you are, Drew, being that we're in this business, I try to like, I like to try to experience as many different notebooks as possible. But the problem is when I experience a lot of different notebooks, I end up with things in a lot of different places and I have no real system for actually being able to function, you know, with 10 different notebooks that I might be trying out. So it ends up being basically just a hot mess all over the place. So anything that's actually important, I try and keep in like one or two of these notebooks. I have a bullet journal as well. The Leuchtturm, just like actual like bullet journal layout thing with the multiple bookmarks and all that. Um, so that I've tried, been trying to do more of an intentional bullet journal, which has worked to a degree, though, like most other things, I vary in my commitment to it. Um, but the paper quality has been good on both of these. Um, with a bullet journal, five millimeter, five millimeter bullet ruling. Um, I'll talk about this when I do the swipe because I had a broad nib in my swipe. It was pushing it a bit much in that five millimeter ruling. So most of the time, you know, the Leuchtturm paper is, is pretty good. As I wouldn't say it's the best paper that we have, but it's, you know, above field notes. Field notes I consider like the minimally acceptable paper that we, we carry basically because we, you know, because we really, really focus everything on fountain pens, we pretty much any paper sample, any notebook suggestion we ever get, it's like, I don't care about the format, the price, literally anything. What is the paper like? Is there like... Because that will be the sole determining like permission to play of whether we would consider carrying any notebook. Is the paper good enough to use with fountain pens? If it is, okay, now we can look at the format and the ruling and the, all the rest of the stuff. But I can't tell you, you know, Drew, because you've seen my office. I have like shelves on my bookshelf filled with, you know, a, a graveyard of I wish we could, you know, carry <laughs> notebook and journal formats that are really innovative and creative, but the paper is just not up to snuff. Yeah, I, I've put uh, many a paper in that office because of that reason. <laughs> yes, you After have. testing it. Yes, because you've been to pen shows I, and you, you get reached out to people and they're like, hey, can you try this thing? And you try it and you're like, yeah, it's just not uh, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the nugget waffles or the, the chicken biscuit bucket or whatever it is that you have written on it. Oh, yeah, is, I write all sorts of random crap on there. Not keeping up its integrity. <laughs> no, no. It's usually like some sort of food, and then I combine that with some sort of vessel, like chicken bucket or, you know, yeah. waffle hey. waffle helmet. It works. Um, the other there, there, we, will, we will revisit some of these mm. because I think that uh, some of these, you know, forsaken notebooks would be great content for when we do get back in the office and we go back behind uh, Brian's office and look at all of the random crap he has back there. Um, we will... I, I pull out some of those gems. Oh, and there's some random crap back there for sure. The other thing that I love that's just a staple, this isn't something I carry around with me, but it's just the classic Rhodia number 16 dot pad. It's such a staple. I just always have them. I have at least a half dozen of them here at home. I keep them all over the house because it's great for just quick notes. You know, I'm getting a phone call. I got to write something down real quick, that kind of thing. So kids use them, you know, good Agreed. fun. Good fun. Well, there's lots of other great notebooks. That's just kind of what we're using at the moment. All right, Drew. This next question. All right. This next one's a meaty one. So we'll see how we do with this one. Yeah, there is. Uh, so Cynthia on YouTube says, Hi, Brian and Drew. Hi, Cynthia. Hello. I enjoy your insights and humor. I wanted to ask a question related to the discussion about where pens are manufactured. We had a previous question about, like, mm -hmm. you know, 
whether or not we would ever consider like doing some sort of filter that ran, you know, our products, you know, through a sortable yeah, like origin what? of manufacturer C- country, for the website. Country of origin, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, since I have been using or collecting pens, I've noticed that pens from some countries slash companies are very inexpensive. Is there any way to ascertain that these companies use good employee practices and pay their workers a fair wage? Mm. Some of these pens are fun to own, but so inexpensive that I'm concerned that their workers may be underpaid. I know it's difficult for a retailer or consumer for that matter to know every step of the manufacturing process, but I would appreciate your insight. This is a good question. There's a lot we could get into with this one. I was going to say there's a lot we could speculate with this one. Yeah, that that's that's the danger. Is like we could we could speculate all day long, but yeah. like Cynthia said, the you know, the transparency just is not there. Right. And so we're going to answer this question, but we're going to kind of draw some boundaries around it. So Drew and I are not going to speculate about any individual manufacturer that we just don't know you know, their situation. Um, and we don't want to go down that road and say anything that, that could potentially be unfair. Um, so we have visited a number of manufacturers though. So we can speak about what we have seen, though I will caveat that to say it's purely based on what we've observed. I've never been shared any numbers from manufacturers about what they actually pay their employees. So I can't say with specificity exactly what you're saying. And then there's another asterisk to this whole thing of what is a considered a fair wage that can vary quite a bit from country to country and based on the their local economy and things like that. What's considered a fair wage in some countries or localities is not fair in other places, but that doesn't mean, you know, if somebody's getting paid less in one country it doesn't mean it's not a fair wage. It's based on you know, what are their other opportunities in that local area? So that's a whole other can of worms. So we're not going to really go down that road specifically with hard numbers, but I think we can still touch on this question in a fairly meaningful way. So, yeah. 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 And just kind of stick to what we have observed. We don't want to get into, uh, you know, we are, we are totally fine getting into nonsense when it doesn't matter. Right. This is one of those situations where we're actually not okay getting into stuff we're not confident about. Yeah. Um, but uh, Brian and I did uh, together visit some factories, and then mm-hmm. Brian and Rachel have also visited some, and Brian's visited some solo. So yeah. I can definitely say that when you and I visited both Montegrappa and Aurora, there were a lot of instances where we observed even um, multi-generational team members working at some of these factories where, you know, I think that, uh, you know, mother and daughter working together, Aurora specifically, I, I know that they have everybody that works at the Aurora factory has these embroidered like Aurora black vests with their name, with their name printed on there. Mm-hmm. Like everybody at that factory was really happy to be there. It seemed, you know, again, I'm trying not to speculate too much, but um, there were smiling faces and they were yeah. happy to see us. I think that everybody in Montegrappa included, um, I got a good vibe, you know, to, you know, not stepping too far out of my zone, but yeah. the vibe was good. There were smiling faces. Everybody seemed to be passionate about what they did. And, um, I didn't get any sense that, uh, there was, um, anything but appreciation for the manufacturing art and the history of the company. Everybody did seem engaged and proud of what they did there. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in general, this whole industry, I've, I've, again, as Drew mentioned, I've toured more factories. I've been to, uh, Peniter, I've seen Mayora Natuno, I've seen Lamy, Stipula, Platinum. Um, I've been to Pilot USA, their distributor, uh, as well as 
Noodlers, which is Nathan. So I guess that technically counts. How was his, how was his culture? Do you think that I would uh, say Noodlers is the only one that doesn't have fair wage, but that's Nathan. Yeah, I was about to say he probably he. I'm pretty sure he underpays himself. <laughs> Nathan definitely underpays himself, and that's no secret. <laughs> he you know he he wants things to be as economical as possible for the end consumer. That is purely but, within his right to do that for himself. As but a going back owner. to what you said, going back to what you said, Brian, like to him, that is fair. it is a fair. If, yeah, exactly. So to him, it he's, is a fair wage. He's, he's like, what? What else do I need? I have, yeah, I have food. I have shelter. <laughs> there is no, <laughs> so there's no law or regulation that's saying that Nathan should pay himself more than whatever he chooses no. to. So, and I actually don't know how much money he makes. So that's speculation in and of itself. But I know he specifically is very proud of his frugality um in the way he runs his business but um that said you know again kind of kind of what drew said what i've observed has has kind of felt like that you can infer quite a bit based on the people that you meet how long they've worked there the conditions that it appears to be you know the the equipment that's there how just well everything is kept up you know being a business owner myself I know it's it's hard to run a good, stable operation where people are happy and stay there a long time if they aren't being treated fairly. Um, and what I've been able to observe based off everybody that I know in the fountain pen manufacturing is that it's just not a big enough industry to be a um, commodity. You know, I, tend, I think you tend to think of when something is highly commoditized, there's a lot of competition, maybe even on the manufacturing side, which tends to drive costs down. And when consumers and consumers are demanding lower costs, that always gets pushed all the way back to the manufacturer. And then that will ultimately impact, you know, the, the lifestyle of the workers and the conditions that they're in. And so in general, in fountain pens, I don't think that the environment itself is highly conducive to, you know, kind of unfair treatment because it's just such a specialty kind of thing. It's a very passion driven industry, even from the manufacturer side, you know, you're dealing with multi-generational, often family owned businesses that have been around for generations. And most of them are not very big operations. They're just, you know, 10 people, 20 people, you know, and some of the, some of the smaller ones at the manufacturers, some of the big ones might have 50, 70, you know, people, the really big ones are like pilot Lamy. You get a few hundred people, uh, maybe more, but it's, it's, it's just not that big of an industry. So I think that when you're getting into probably, well, I was, see, I'm, I'm, I'm walking into speculation territory here. I don't want to speculate, but I think generally what we may tend to assume as Industries where people may be taken advantage of tend to be more commoditized uh, industries. I think when you have very passion-driven, very specialty type of things, um, it's just people tend to get treated better because they are, their skills are specialized. You know, their companies invest a lot in their team. I know we feel that way. We treat our team really well because it's fountain pens are complicated and it takes a long time to learn them. And, you know, fountain pen customers have specific interests and needs and we just don't want to see people cycling through all the time. So we try to treat people really well, pay them really well. And uh, I think a lot of that translates through. Um, So to, to get to kind of the heart of your question is like, how do you make an assessment of that? It's really tough. I would say just go with your gut. If you feel like something is really inexpensive and you're like, I just don't know where, those low costs are coming from, then if that's something that's really important to you, maybe just say, okay, I'm going to choose to buy from somewhere where I know those people are treated really well. 
maybe I won't buy from somewhere where I don't know. I'm not going to assume the worst in every situation, but if that is something I value, that's a purchasing you know, decision that I make, I'm going to make a choice to buy from somewhere that I know does pay fairly in these types of things. And then you'll feel really good about that for yourself. And at the end, you know, the, the consumer is really the one who calls all the shots because if the products don't sell, that manufacturing ain't going to be in business. So you ultimately are voting with your dollars. And if things that are important to you, be it the labor or whatever aspect, if you are thinking about these things and I'm alluding to a future question that we're going to get to here in the next two questions, having that consciousness about what you're buying does have an impact in what actually yeah. gets manufactured in the big picture. Yeah, and I'll also say that the thing that runs this entire industry is passion. Mm-hmm. And that is something that it, that this, this, no one would be buying fountain pens right now without a passion for them. And mm-hmm. just like, you know, anybody watching this right now has some to some extent a passion for fountain pens or they just like looking at Brian, I don't know, but um the you know odds are you are passionate about this most of the people that we have all of the people that we've visited have that same passion um speaking from my personal experience we were we took factory tours of Montegrappa and aurora um with cesare from aurora and giuseppe from Montegrappa. they knew the names of everybody on the floor yeah. they didn't not they didn't just know the names they knew where they came from they knew their experience they know their their previous, you know, you know, where they found them or like what they were doing prior, why they brought them aboard, yeah. who is re- connected to who, like they, it's, it's a, it is a family. And we saw that passion transcend and they can't make really good fountain pens without being able to channel that passion. So, um, I would say watch some content, watch some videos, go to their website, read their about us, look at the history. Both Giuseppe and Cesare are, you know, second, third generation fountain pen, you know, leaders. And that, again, is where that passion gets plugged in. So if you're curious about a brand, do the research, check their website. We've got some factory tours on our site. There are other retailers that have, you know, similar tours. Um, it, it's there if you look for it. If, mm-hmm. they, if you are going to, if, uh, if there's a manufacturer that's proud of what they do, they're going to talk about it. And all you need to do is just kind of check it out. There you go. Well said. Well said. All right. Next question we have is from Nina says, dear gentlemen, I don't know about that, but thank you. Gen- thank you, Nina, for the courtesy. <laughs> dear gentlemen, greetings from Spain. I was wondering which fountain pens would you recommend for teachers in middle and high school to use on a daily basis? Many thanks in advance. Good question. Um, we get we got asked a lot about pens for students. Do you think that pens for teachers is much different? I tend to kind of fit them into the same category personally, but I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, w- I would put them in a pretty similar category. My short answer is pretty much anything Lamy or Twisby because they're both durable and efficient. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, they're going to write pretty much every time. And they're going to, you know, withstand some, some falls from a desk onto some, you know, floor that probably needs to be updated. Yeah. So you think durability <laughs> is probably pretty important. I would, I would think reliability, just how, can you pick it up and start writing with it? You know, that kind of thing. I like the, I like the Twisby for the incapacity. Cause I think that, especially if you're grading papers and things like that, you know, you don't want to have to stop and ink up your pen all too much. And you're probably going to be sticking with one color for a long time. Um, I think that's something I put the pilot varsity too. You know, I think it's a very inexpensive pen, super durable, obviously, 
Also, I know a number of teachers, professors, you know, at, at various levels, you know, especially on the college level, because they get students who are, you know, very thoughtful about what's going on and just conscientious of their relationship with their teacher and stuff like that. Um, number of professors I've talked to that will be using a fountain pen and their students will come up to them and ask them about their pens and it starts a whole conversation, right? Um, so I know a number of teachers that keep pens like a varsity or preppy or something like that on hand so that when they, because I think like any teacher, like to see a sparkle in the eye of your student is like the reason you do it, right? Like to make that connection, to inspire something that could be impacting them for generations is really cool. So I think uh, there's, there's a number of people that find a lot of joy in sort of evangelizing fountain pens to their students. So that's why I like things like the Varsity, maybe the Preppy or Profonte, something pretty inexpensive that you can actually give away. Um, and if you're using that yourself, you know, could be really interesting and, and get a bond to a student, maybe get them into fountain pens. Um, but I think the, you know, affordability is probably important, especially I'm thinking like, gosh, when I was in school, I was never teaching in that setting, but as a student, uh, you know, I would lose pens and forget them in class and these types of things. So I would hate to recommend a really nice pen and then have it get lost in a school type setting. Right. So I think going with something on the more affordable range, um, would probably be important, something replaceable, you know, even something like a Twisby, if you're using some special edition color, that's not available anymore or a past Safari that you can't get. And it costs, it might've cost you $30 when you bought it new, but now it's 110 because you can't get it anymore, you know? Um, so I would just kind of be conscious of that. Um, but that's more of a color kind of preference thing. Um, I think Pilot Metropolitan also might be a good contender, you know, very durable pen, snap cap, quick to uncap, you know, pretty easy, could be used with cartridges or uh, converter. Um, and, uh, you know, overall styling is not like super flashy, um, but it's a very pleasant pen. I don't think you, you, you know, you may or may not want some something too too flashy because then you know students with light fingers may you know find it in their backpack or something i don't know use your judgment there i don't want to assume that students steal everything but the potential is certainly there um i think if you want some nicer pens if you're in a setting where it's like more at your desk and you have some control over it you know some of my classic kind of entry-level gold nib pens lamy 2000 pilot custom 74 custom 823 are all great pens you know, good ink capacities, gold nibs, write really great. Just the, the pleasure of the writing experience is going to be a step above where some of these lower price pens are. So I'll kind of throw that recommendation in there in case that's maybe more of what you're looking for as a teacher. Um, something that you like keep in your pocket and you're just very conscious of where it is at all times. But if it's more just a pen that's on your desk all the time, I'd, I'd recommend any of the, the more affordable ones we've already said. Solid. Cool. All right, Drew. Here's the meat and potatoes now. Yeah, this is one of those ones, ladies and gentlemen, where I asked Brian, I'm like, hey, do you want a uh, do you want a deep dive question? Because I got one if you want one. He's like, yes, I do. Yes. So in response to, um, this is uh, Becky ISJ via YouTube, in response to uh, a comment I made last week about how I was doing a lot for my son's Halloween costume, and I commented that, while yes you can call me dad of the year sure but really i'm i'm a nerd who goes way down deep into rabbit holes um so it's a nice combination of being a rabbit hole dork and a good dad i hope um but the, the well, i mentioned that in the fountain pen world odds are if you are attracted to fountain pens you might have a rabbit hole sort of tendency you may have more than one collection already or you just might be that person that that's kind of prone to really kind of going in deep on some things, which I certainly am. Brian certainly is. 
perhaps you are too. So just some context as to uh, what Becky is referencing here. Um, She says, I'm curious about your thoughts on conscious consumption, especially in a world where every brand is marketing their product with various tactics, e.g. flash sales, Black Friday sales, which I'm grateful you guys don't really do. And what are the things that you as a business keep in mind as you are at the end of the day, a retailer? Big question. And um, my answer is Brian. Drew literally has in the notes, it has his name and it just says, ask Brian. And then it's got my name. It's got all this stuff. I mean, this, is, this is a very, I mean, this, 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 is, this is the business owner here. So I, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. But you'll, you'll, you'll be able to chime in. You'll have some thoughts too. Um, yeah, I thought this was really interesting. The timing of it was really good too because in our personal message this week, in our company newsletter, we kind of alluded to the fact that we're not going to do a whole lot of crazy sales this coming holiday season. Um, you know, I explained a little bit of why, but yeah, I, I have to keep the personal message shorter than this pen cast. So yeah. And uh, we, we've never know. gone like completely nuts on it, you know? And yeah, we've had some, we've had some years we've leaned into it a little bit more, but it's usually pretty controlled where we, we yeah. always reserve ourselves on it and we've been much more, you know, I'll call it hesitant or reserved uh, towards it than, you know, certain, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to compare us to other pen retailers because I don't, I pay that closely attention to how much other people do these types of things. But um, I, I will say that, you know, as an observer to Brian and Rachel's decisions, whenever they make a call like this, it, the, the company, you know, comes first. Like they never say, let's make a sale in order to move this amount of stuff without, you know, at the expense of our current staffing capacity or anything like that. They always say, what is our current staffing capacity? What can we do well? Mm. And then let's kind of tailor any decisions to fit that. It's a really, really awesome way to be. And I really appreciate them seeing what their capacity is and going from there rather than seeing what they want to do and just letting the capacity kind of deal with their decision. They don't ever do that. And thank you, Brian, for that. I appreciate that. Uh, well, the, you're welcome. Uh, it's also a bit self-serving because, you know, the, hard, the harder we drive at everything, the more work it is for us too, right? So um, I think some of it is like, it depends what your goals are for the business. You know, some some industry lend themselves more to pacing yourself like us you know fountain pens have been around for a long time it's a very specialty thing there are not new fountain pen companies cropping up left and right disrupting everything all the time so the the pressing need to grow or die is not as strong in our industry than it might be perhaps if you were in the say electronics or say you were making smartphones or whatever where technology is everything and the number one player gets 10,000% of the business of the number two player, you know, you are incentivized to drive as hard and as fast as you can. That's where you get some of these, you know, aggressive promotions and sales and things like that. What can happen is if you, I can say this as a business owner, if we are not conscious about what our goals are, what our desires are, and the impacts of the decisions that we make on ourselves, our team, the company culture, all these types of things, you as a customer, um, and we look to some of these larger, faster growth companies, and we just sort of headline read, and we look at, oh, well, they've got, you know, nap pod rooms, and they do this benefit, and they have these, you know, X rate of growth or whatever, and we only look at sort of the highlight reel of what these other companies are doing. And we think that that's what we need to do too. 
we can get things mismatched a little bit and we can, you know, get our priorities a little out of whack and not realize some of the costs that come with some of that aggressive growth. Um, so I, I do have relationships with a number of other e-commerce business owners. You know, I'm in some networking groups and things like that just to get perspective on some of these things. And I can say that there are people with all different priorities, different stages of life. You know, some people want to grow it to a certain point and then stop it. And that they're very happy. Other people want to grow it, flip it in three years, you know, start another business, roll it into a thing. They want to have a portfolio of 12 businesses that they manage more power to them. Entrepreneurs like that help get things moving, you know, but it's not for everybody. So I think the risk from a business you know, whether you own the business or you're just in a influential leadership position in any business, the biggest risk is just not being sure of what your goals should be and trying to do something just because you see other people doing it, or you think you should be doing that because then it gets really hard to make decisions about how you should go about doing these types of things. But when you're very certain, you know, Rachel and I, we have goals about what rate of growth that we want to see and it's a range that has a low point and a high point you know we can actually grow too much too fast it gets too painful we outgrow our systems we start to feel pain from our team getting overworked and you know not being able to hire fast enough or changing the culture too quickly you know we've had various periods where it's grown you know slower faster and we found a nice sweet spot for us which only came with experience. So it's a, just a high degree of consciousness required running a business to be thinking about this. And it's, it's a compelling question because this whole idea of conscientiousness can come from the consumer side, but also from the business side. That's the key word. Yeah, exactly. We use the word intentional a lot as well, which I think conscientiousness, intentionality, mindfulness, all these things kind of fall into the same camp, right? Um, which is really just, are you really trying to look at the full impact is like the holistic impact of what it is, whatever the decision is that you're making. And that gets complicated because sometimes you don't, you just don't know all the impacts, but, um, you know, so I tried to research a little bit just to be conscientious about how I answered this question, try to research like conscious consumption. That was a, that was a term that I was like, Oh, that sounds familiar. But I was like, I'm not, I don't know if there's like a movement or a thing around that, that I'm not fully understanding like what is that um i think i think generally it, it it's what we're speaking about here which is like a, you as a someone buying something doing so thinking about these things beyond just like what is the object and how much does it cost it's more like who made this thing what are the people getting paid what's the impact on the environment you know just these much deeper kind of threads that all feed into this product existing and what am I doing as the consumer to support everything that's happened to make this product exist? So I think it's a, it's something that is really interesting to me. It's often difficult to get a full understanding of that. Um, but I think, you know, I think in general, from my researching it online, like the environmental impact has a high degree of, you know, the meaning behind this conscious consumption. Um, and you know, to that degree, you know, I don't have a lot of industry data around fountain pens, unfortunately. Uh, that said, you know, with our paper manufacturers, you know, paper comes from trees mostly. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of certifications and things like that, that fountain pen paper companies often are affiliated with and stuff like that. So I do think that there is a pretty significant degree of conscientiousness all the way through the manufacturing side for environmentally 
around these things. And just fountain pens as a whole, I think, are an environmentally conscious alternative to a lot of other forms of writing. Thinking about the, I forget if it's like 1.3 billion disposable pens each year are thrown into landfills, something like that. So obviously a fountain pen lasts a lot longer than that. So um, certainly you can acquire a lot of fountain pens way more than you need in a practical sense. But if that is your end goal as a conscious consumer, you can buy one or a couple fountain pens, use those for basically your whole life, and you can make that very conscious decision. So I do think just in general, this industry tends to have a lot of conscientiousness with it. Um, I thought it was an interesting to think about it as just Drew, you and I, we've grown up in the late 20th century, early 21st century, America, one of the most consumer driven periods of human history, you know, more than 70% of our country's GDP is driven from consumption, which, you know, I have mixed feelings about, but it's also like, we are running a retail business and we are part of that. Um, so I think it's something we experience as a daily life. It's something that we've grown up with. Um, but also I think just the whole idea of conscientiousness and the minimalism movement and these types of things all kind of feed on the same thing, which is basically how much stuff does one really need, you know? And for me personally, I still consume quite a bit because I'm grown up where I am. Right. Um, but I think it's sort of like when we started this business, we didn't have the awareness or consciousness to think about our, our shipping supplies or whatever. It was, we only had so much money. We only had so much time. So we had to go with the cheapest, fastest thing. Now we're thinking much more thoughtfully about what is the environmental impact on how much stretch wrap we use and bubble wrap and these types of things. So we've actually made intentional decisions to go with more paper void fill, to go with hundred percent recycled boxes and things like that, where okay, we're going to try to make it as cost neutral as possible to change over to some of these eco-friendly options. But even if we have to pay just a little bit more, we're okay with that, knowing that we're making a better decision in the big picture, just because as we've gotten bigger, we consume more of these materials that weighs on me a little bit more. So we are trying just as a company to think about this stuff um, kind of a lot more. Um, but I think to, to kind of close it out, I think in general, the thing, if I had to really think about it, the thing that drew me most to the fountain pen industry, the fountain pen community from the very beginning, because I did not grow up using fountain pens. When I discovered this community, what stood out to me so much was the overall just intentionality and consciousness of the community, because you basically, it's really hard to passively use a fountain pen you pretty much have to want to use one and to sit here and watch a, our whatever long video about fountain pens, you are very much making a conscious choice to do so. And that is by far the overwhelming majority of people in this hobby. And yes. that, that just like spoke to me. It spoke to everything that I valued as a consumer. I wanted good information to make pen buying decisions when I first started out and that was not there. And I looked at it and I said, I could do better than this. And so that's why we started taking better pictures. That's why we started taking better measurements that did not exist and were not given to us from the manufacturer. We try to do tours. We try to get information. We do tons and tons of videos and, you know, blogs and all, Instagram posts and all these other things for free just to put this information out there to you all so that you can make the most conscious decision about whether you buy a pen at all and which one you buy and how you use it and all these types of things. So I would say 
we have just that's like in our blood that conscientiousness and uh i think it very much speaks to my heart and uh it's very very common in the pen industry to have that consciousness um and it is kind of woven through everything that we do and the what we're doing right now to me is like the most like pure essential element of it which is like we are putting out content for you engaging about pens you are commenting on it we are reading those comments we are in an engaged conversation back and forth that to me is like the best that's the best because if you do that we're going to either make or advocate with our manufacturers to make a better product that's exactly what you want you are going to be able to know exactly what to expect with the things that we offer and there's very there's there's way less waste in that process than there is if that information is not present so that's a huge part of what drives us to do this very thing that you're watching right now that's well said um, Thank you. I'll also mention that if you are uh, at all concerned about any sort of uh, paper waste, um, there is a logo that you'll find at least on the Rhodia paper. It is and Claire the Fontaine. PE. Yeah, yeah. So it all it was all made by uh, mm-hmm. Exaclair. Um, but it is the uh, PEFC logo, which means that essentially all of the paper that's in that mm-hmm. notebook comes from a PEFC certified forest, mm-hmm. which is a forest that is under like the most strict environmental guidelines absolutely you know, you know, re- reseeding and stuff like that so if you're concerned about uh, that sort of consumption um look for that logo yeah in fact or a logo similar i'm sure there are you know multiple types of certification as brian mentioned but um keep an eye on that yeah in fact i believe that i, I may need to research it's i've researched this a while ago i didn't specifically research pefc for this pencast so i may be fuzzy on this i'm also a woodworker so i'm conscious of eco impacts of woodworking and all these types of things too i believe pefc is a certification that's not just for paper making i think it has to do with other lumber related things too so i don't think it's just the managing of the forest but i believe it's also the whole supply chain so like even if you're you know logging or a sawmill or something like that in order to be pefc certified you have to basically certify through the entire manufacturing process not just saying that like I got wood that was harvested sustainably. It's the whole process. It's it's actually quite involved. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. that that's you know, and, and uh, in a lot of cases, possibly worth paying a premium. So yeah, there you go. Good stuff. All right, that was a deep enough dive. I think. <laughs> I think so. All right, let's lighten up a little bit, Drew. You got a hypothetical question for us this week? I do, and I'm really excited about this one. Okay. Um, especially in light of what you mentioned earlier, Brian, in regards to uh, you keeping a full notebook in your travelers in order to reference things. Mm, so, okay, a little bit of an unintentional foreshadowing. Mm. So, Brian, I'm going to ask you if you would rather have a magic pen or a magic notebook. So, this magic pen is a fountain pen. Okay, just plain plain black fountain pen like a sailor 1911 or something like that a pretty just standard cigar shaped black can fountain I, pen with like can we, gold can we make it a king of pens if it's going to be a we're going the sailor route all right sure like sure sure but but, but, but yeah. it's not going to be not going to be super exciting looking um and this okay. pen you can instantly switch between any ink that has been manufactured at a large scale hmm. and any nib size just you just either click a button or you think about it whatever it can mm. it can switch to anything and it the nib always writes perfectly um subject to ink of course because the ink is going to do its thing okay um and uh so yeah it's basically just a pen that will 
write with whatever you want at any time you want. Or a magical notebook. This notebook accepts any ink, dries instantly with no bleed, so it just writes just as you would love any notebook to write. Mm. So like imagine like a like Tomoe River that dries instantly, something like that. Just just perfect. Huh. You know, all the pros of every paper ever made, everything you want. Um, and then when you open the notebook, it opens to just whatever page you desire to open. It can open to any page you have ever written in it ever before, or it could open to a blank page. So it'd be like the one notebook I would ever need ever again. Exactly. Basically, one pen you'll ever need, one notebook you'll ever need. Wow. Um, infinite, infinite amount of pages. Uh, again, this notebook is just plain black. Nothing, okay. nothing swanky about it. Maybe, maybe you get an elastic enclosure, um, but you don't need any bookmarks or a table of contents or anything like that. Okay. So very plain format of either notebook or pen, but it has its, these magical properties. Yes. Are there any restrictions? So if I have, if I choose the pen, can I still mm-hmm. use like whatever notebook I want? I just have to seek out and get that notebook, or am I yeah. am I yeah. limited on the notebook front? No, no, you're not limited on the notebook at all. Okay, because I'm thinking like, but you know, my, my, kid, but the my notebook kids ask will... me hypothetical questions all the time, and they would have something like this. That's like, you can have a pen that can do anything, but you have to write on toilet paper, you know, or something like that. <laughs> no, so it's not like that no. limitation. Okay, no. Hmm. Wow, that's a really tough question, Drew. Mm. My goodness, I wanted to do. I, I wanted to go back to a more pen centric one. Mm. We we haven't done one of those in a while. Wow. That's... And also, I would love to hear what yeah, you would do. Share your comments because it's going to take me a minute to think about this. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I would. I would do. I would do the notebook just because I appreciate the ceremony that goes into filling a pen. I yeah. appreciate that routine. I like to clean it, flush it, add new ink. I think that's part of the fountain pen experience. Yeah. And also, I have a terrible, terrible memory. So being able to instantly recall anything I chose to put down on paper, I think, would be excellent yeah you know what i'm gonna i'm just gonna speak out my thought process here i definitely hear where you're coming from that is really compelling because for me i like you know i like being able to pull out a bunch of pens and look at them all at once and i appreciate the design and the aesthetics and the theming like there's just to me at least there's so much you know kind of craftsmanship and and, stuff and you could still have all of those pens you're not you're not losing your pens oh you know so you can still write with all those pens like what which one of these magical items would you rather just have in your possession oh shoot i thought i was like this is the pen that i have to use from now on and i can't use no no no, no just you you get a oh. choice between two two you you wandered into a cave and some old wizard presents you with two magical items and you just get to pick which one it is huh wow that makes it even harder honestly <laughs> This is. <laughs> this might be the most thought-provoking hypothetical that you've asked me yet, Drew. Is that good or? Yeah, I'm sorry. no, it's really good. It's really good. All right. So for me, again, what I spoke to earlier in this pencast, I end up with notebooks friggin' everywhere, and I have half-completed thoughts, and I have some lines a day that I did reliably for two years, and then stopped, and then I haven't picked it back up, and then I have you know all these different things I've got. I basically have a drawer in my desk at the office of all these half finished old notebooks. I don't know what's in what, and it's just impossible to reference. I can't categorize things. It's not my gift. 
So the idea of not having to concern myself with that anymore is really compelling. But you'd also be able to, if a new ink came out, you'd instantly be able to like, boop, let me test the ink for Instagram or something like that. Or you'd be able to experience all the new stuff. But I'm kind of with you. Like, I think that the, the ceremonial aspect, kind of what you're talking about, there are, there are absolutely paper people where the ceremony of getting a new notebook and flipping through and writing your index in the front and all that, there is ceremony to that, that I absolutely understand and get. That is not what I find appealing about this writing process. I like a new notebook and all that kind of stuff, but I'm usually just ripping it open just to get through. It's it's a little more utilitarian to me. The pen to me is more the ceremony. I like to, you know, ink it up with different filling mechanisms. And, you know, I like when I kind of get a little bit of that ink from the rim of the bottle on my finger, and then I'm going to have that ink color on my finger the rest of the day. And somebody might ask me about it and I'll get to tell them about the new ink I'm using. You know, I I think that that's, I would probably, I probably miss that more than I would suspect. I don't think about that very much, but like the ceremonial aspect of using and filling a new pen and just like cleaning it and all that kind of, not that I do that that much, but you know, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I would choose the notebook for exactly the reason that you did though. I'm really on the fence. I could be convinced probably either way. Cause I don't have to give up. I don't have to give up everything else. If you said I had to give it up, then I would absolutely choose a notebook because I would miss more of the pens that I have and not being able to use them and look at them and that kind of stuff. And the notebooks, I'm not like, I'm not like admiring my notebook collection. It's more of like, I look at my notebook collection in, in shame for how disorganized and, <laughs> and, and chaotic it is. Pens, I'm like, it's still disorganized and chaotic, but I, it's a little more elegant in its chaos than my notebooks are, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Absolutely. <laughs> I also have a some lines a day notebook that is shame inducing. Yeah. And I stopped before the pandemic hit and I'm just like kicking myself a little bit. I'm like, man, I really wish that I had kept that going through the pandemic because I would have, I mean, of course it like, I don't really want to think about it much what we were going through when all that was going down last spring, but you know, it would still like for posterity, looking back on it in 10 years, it would be really interesting to see like what my thoughts were day by day, but yeah, here we are. And then once you get off, it's like, do I just jump back in? Like, you know, so even I say I did it reliably for two years, but I had gaps in there all over the place. You know, so it's like I would go to that's why I kind of gave up is because it got to the point where I had gaps for a bunch of periods of time. So even looking at it year over year was like not not a regular occurrence because I missed so much time in it. And then I just abandoned it altogether. Anyway, I tried. I really tried. (laughs) Cool. Nice. Good question. All right. Let's move it on to the next one. Drew, we have started this thing. As you know, I'm not telling you anything new. I guess I shouldn't say Drew. Drew and I have started this thing to all you listeners um, where we just picking a pen every week and we're carrying it around and using it and then talking about it. That's as formal as it is at this point. Um, we picked a couple of random pens the first time and last time we coordinated and we did the Twisby swipe. Since it's relatively new and there's a bunch of them out there, maybe some of you all listening have them or have opinions about them. By all means, chime in. We'd love to hear your comments. So Drew, it looks like you got the smoke one. I, I did. I did ultimately find my smoke one, but I couldn't at first, so I used the blue one, <laughs> and I just kind of stuck with that one. So, which one do you? Which let's start off with. Which color do you prefer? Oops. Well, that's a tough one because I do like the dark teal. It's kind of that little Prussian blue hint, right? 
Um, it is, it is. But to, I mean, that's literally, literally what it's literally called. Literally like kind of that color. Um, but I like the translucence, translucentness, the lack of opacity that you have with the smoke. <laughs> yes. So I think for that reason, what I want is I want, a, I want the smoke translucence with this color. That's really what I mm. want. Um, so I like the smoke just a little bit better. This, this color, it's, you know, if I got to be honest, it's a bit flat for my taste, you know, which is fine. Like this is how the Lamy Safaris are, you know, the shiny ones. It's just a flat color and that's fine. But I like mm-hmm. depth. I like interest in my colors. I tend to like, you know, it's like, look at our premieres that we've done. You know, it's like, it's all these ridiculous, swirly, crazy things. Cause that's just really interesting. Um, this is a little more subtle and that's fine, but I like the translucence. So for that reason, I yeah. kind of dig the smoke just a little bit more. Yeah, I also think that with Twisby, they do have um, clear or transparent theming across the pen. Like the yeah. grip section is transparent, and I appreciate yeah. that Which theming. It is, kind on, of it is on the being, blue one too, so it's the same right, grip. Right, but, but I, I appreciate the theming being throughout. So if you're going to oh, have a clear like, grip section. From like different pen models, you mean? No, no, no. Like if you're going to have a clear grip section, give me some clarity elsewhere on the pen, not just the grip section. Oh, really? I think that feels... I feel, that so, feels out of place. A, a completely opaque okay. pen, but just with a clear grip section. I'm like, wait, that's weird. So like a Lamy All Star, because that's the same boat. Do you have a? Pre- I would prefer that to be opaque. Really? Yeah. yeah, I don't love that. No, why? Why? What do you mean why? Like I don't. I don't like the one random transparent element. Like, give me some other. I like a cohesive theme. Like with 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 uh like I don't know. Give me a transparent finial or something. I know that Lamy doesn't do that or cannot do that because of the way their finials are designed. But right, I do right. like the, hmm. I like the okay. Okay. kind of transparent theme. So th- this this is ideal for me. The, okay. the black, the, the, the transparent smoke. I can see where you're coming from with that. I can. I like the aesthetic balance, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Now, how about the actual function of the pen? Because we wrote with these things. Tell me, like, yeah. what nib size, what ink did you use? So my nib size was a fine, and mm. I broke out an ink that used to be one of my go-tos early early on i used to use diamine green black Whoa, a lot that is yeah. a throwback that is a throwback that was one i i really used to love that ink and i still do but then i discovered noodler's l lawrence mm. and i kind of uh it kind of uh you know usurped the green black throne mm. however in revisiting it this thing wrote consistently nice and wet um I think that I might be bringing this one back into the fold. Is here that soon. right? Oh, that's awesome! Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a good ink. It really is. Honestly, and this is this is part of the appeal of why I wanted to start doing this, you know, and have you and I just like changing it up and not just trying to. I mean, this is a newer pen. Obviously, we want to do new stuff, but I love that you picked like a really old favorite ink because honestly, sometimes you get you get new stuff, you get excited, but like your old favorites, they just kind of they kind of move to the back of the drawer or they get pushed back on yeah. the bookshelf, and you're like. I used to love that all the time, but it's not like the hottest, newest thing or whatever. And you kind of forget how much you really loved it until you ink it up again. Then you're like, wow, I remember now why I liked this so much. I'm right there. Exactly. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with exactly. you. Exactly. Performance wise, I had a great time with this. It wrote consistently every time I used it. Um, I uh, did a little bit of traveling with it. Nothing too crazy, but I did, you know, journal quite a bit with it. I had a few hard starts, but I thought, I think that, you know, I was, I was watching a movie while I was doing a lot of journaling. So I was holding my book up at kind of like a 45 degree angle. Okay. And I know that's not, that's not ideal for flow. Yeah. So, you probably, um, you probably had your angle pretty steep, which is going to, you know, in general, be more conducive to hard starts. 
Yeah, well, it was, the angle was probably more like more like that. Um, so uh, yeah. yeah, it was. So I think I definitely think that that yeah, it's had like something to do with it. I guess the equivalent of you if you're having your notebook laying down on a table, having the pen more or less straight up and down, as opposed to more of a forty-five. Is that would you say that's kind of how you were holding it? No, I was like just I was like doing this. Right, that's what I'm saying. If you take that, lay it down on the table, your pen is going to be straight up and down, as opposed to at a forty-five. Uh, yeah. In relation yeah, to the paper, get, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You're closer to like 90 there, which means, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a little less, less ink flow if it's a steep angle like that. That's all I'm saying. Oh, uh, I mean, my, no, my, my writing angle was the same. Like I was writing on the, the, the writing pad on the paper was the same. Oh, I'm just okay. saying I was, okay. I was, I was holding it up. Gravity was not on my side. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that's what I'm saying. That's I what thought, I was I think asking that... was, was your writing angle? No, 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 no. My changed. writing angle is consistent. Yeah, okay, gotcha. No, no, no. Writing angle is the same. Um, okay. But just my, my orientation to the, the, the earth itself was different. <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I really did like it. I only had, um, a few uh oh uh my filling mechanism so i went with the uh, push button converter the one with the spring-loaded converter the one that felt like that was flung across the room in previous videos yeah (laughs) well no no no. well yeah yeah yeah, i did um so (laughs) it filled well i actually um saw while i was filling it like a jet of ink squirting up into the converter so i thought that was cool Ah. i haven't cleaned it yet so i am curious to see whether or not this spring in here impedes the uh, cleaning process at all Ah, okay but uh, you can remove it i actually took this thing apart Mm -hmm. before i filled it and took the spring out and this piston you can just operate as a as a draw converter Mm -hmm. too if you wanted to so i guess technically um, if you wanted to get a little more a fraction bit more ink in the converter you could take the spring out Mm -hmm. see this is unusual because normally there is not a spring sitting in where like the ink chamber normally if you have any type of spring mechanism thinking about like the the con 70 converter right the spring is behind the seal it's not immersed in the ink yeah so it's definitely interesting that is kind of interesting i wonder if that helps to like agitate it or whatever or if you have shimmer in there i wonder if that does anything different i don't know i'm kind of curious just because it's a different design it is a very different design but that's that's what i filled Mm. it with and it performed excellently i'm just baffled at how affordable this pen is and in conjunction with how reliable and consistent it is and how twisby continues to manage to do that and the capping i mean come on you know as well as i do you're a sucker sucker for the caps they just they don't they don't dry out they're amazing i love them my biggest complaint is the clip uh clipping this thing on something is is a is a pain (laughs) what it really is it's, Unless you're clipping it onto paper, which isn't going to w- survive this clip, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so, so tight, almost flush against the cap itself. Yeah. It looks neat, but functionally, I'm a little disappointed. But uh, I will say I did post it constantly. So every time I wrote with it, I did post. Yeah, but you've been on a posting kick lately anyway. So I like, have, when in doubt, you're going to try to post it. I'm a poster boy. Yeah. But I mean, so I had this same kind of experience. I tended to post this one a bit more too. Though, now that I'm thinking about it, when I have a snap cap like this, I'm not as like hard set on needing to post it or not. Because if I'm taking quick notes, you know, then I'm a little more inclined maybe to just keep the cap in my hand. That way I can just cap and recap it right away, I guess. Which, as, a, as opposed to if I have a screw cap, it feels like a more intentional act. So then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it and I'm going to keep it uncapped 
for longer, if that makes sense. Yeah, that sounds like a way, that sounds like an inherent difference in what you use certain pens for. Yeah. You know, like it sounds like a habit of yours. You tend to use snap caps more for quick note taking. Yeah, and that's, screw caps more for. I didn't set out to to do it that way from the beginning. I've just noticed that over time, that's tended to be hmm. kind of how I've adopted to things. Is my yeah my quickie carry around whatever pens. I tend to go more for durability and. Um, ease of capping and uncapping and that's kind of my i don't think about it quite as much kind of a pen it's just it's a little more utilitarian i need it to serve a purpose but when i like sit down and i want more of the ceremony the writing experience that's where i'm much more inclined to go with you know the elaborate filling mechanism the screw cap that may be multiple rotations to undo you know, the I care about the balance and the feel of the pen much more posted mm-hmm. versus unposted. Um, you know, so yeah, it just kind of depends on how I'm using it. And I mentioned like last week I had the little traveler's pen. I would not sit down and write a lot of meaningful stuff with this pen. But no. if I just want to clip it in my shorts and go disassemble a carport in the sun, I'm gonna do it with that. <laughs> I'm gonna do it with that pen. I'm not gonna do that with a nobody would do that. I'm not gonna do that with a Pelican AM hundred, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. One one thing I will finish off with is that um, uh, another concern I had, just me because I'm not the most organized person in the world, I don't love that it comes with like a spring, another converter, and another um, and and the cartridge. Really? Like, I, I just it, this is well. I mean, I, I like it and I don't. You're really you're um, really persnickety I, about what comes in the packaging with your pens. Surprisingly, no, I'm so. not. Surprisingly, I, so I don't I don't want to keep track of stuff. Honestly, I'm a person. I throw all of my boxes away. I don't keep any pen boxes. All that, psh, whatever. I need the pen and then I'm done with you. Mm. But I have to keep track of this now. And you want to because this is a very specific type of converter, yeah. very specific type of spring. You can't buy this spring separately anywhere. So, True. I, so it's kind of like, Aaron, I got to keep track of this. Mm. That being said, that's my little, 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 little poo-poo on it. I will say that the Twisby Swipe, if I had to buy a starter pen for somebody, this is probably going to be the one I buy. Really? Over over an Eco, over a Metro, really? over a Safari. Yeah, this is this is what I'm giving people. And I'm going to be a hypocrite because I will say a big part of that is because it comes with so many options. It comes with two different converters, a cartridge. You can get started either way you want. It makes filling the fountain pen fun, but not in a way like the Go or the Eco. Those are fun too, Mm. but the internal reservoir can be a little intimidating for a new user. It's a lot of ink. If you're new to the hobby, you might not want all that ink. You know, I think that this has a ton of versatility. It's a more traditional a more widely available filling system because it is the cartridge converter type. Hmm. I think it's more accessible, a little less intimidating. True, but it gives the cartridge you a bunch of fun the, options. The cartridge definitely adds to the utility of the pen. But opening this up and being like, "Ooh, what am I going to do?" Like, I love that. I think mm. that a pen like this is going to get somebody excited about using a fountain pen, and ultimately, that's what you want when you're gifting a fountain pen to somebody, right? Boom. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I would say as long as you get to like walk them through the introduction of it. Cause I think fountain pens can be overwhelming enough, but when you have multiple different options for a filling mechanism to someone who's completely new to it, if you were just like mailing them the pen and they just opened it up, they would be like, what is this? Like, what do I do with all these parts? Do I need all of these? What do I, you know, there would be a lot of questions. So I would say I wouldn't just like mail this blind to somebody, but I would, you know, but you could say that you could say that about any fountain process, pen, you know, you could say, but like a Lamy Safari, a Metro. Yeah, like, you could say that about anything. I mean, 
that those don't have anything at least with the twisby yeah. it comes with a little diagram about why it has a spring in there what you're supposed to do with it True. and then on the back of the box it actually says these are the contents one spring converter one Good piston point. converter one ink cartridge one um fountain pen and then it says, you know, from website, like, so you're at least getting some direction here. You got a good And point. you have the names of what you're talking about. You got a good point. I can see, I can see your logic there. I can see your logic there. So uh, what, what nib size did you get and how'd you fill it? So I'm glad that you chose what you chose because we did not specifically coordinate this. Uh, I had a very different writing experience. Not, not a bad one, but just I went with a broad nib because that's what was on this one my other one was a fine so if i'd gone with a smoke fine we both would have written with a smoke fine it's like okay um and i actually had already punctured it with a cartridge so that's what i went with so i just used the black cartridge of twisby ink that it came with the pen and i was like you know what i never do this i never just puncture the cartridge and go with it but a lot of people are probably going to do that so let me experience that um did you use the spring no, I did not use the spring. <gasps> Dude! I just, it was already punctured, so I just, oh, hey, wait, wait, wait. The spring is in there. Yes. Okay, I was about to say, you need I that potential energy. You <laughs> I think this is the one we used in the PenCast video where we talked about the potential energy. Good, and Kinetic good. energy and all that kind of stuff. So this spring was left over in there, so I just happened good. to get lucky. All right, there. I was about to say, who knows what could have happened yeah. if you did not have that spring in there. So yeah, good experience. <laughs> You know, I, I experienced just a tiny bit of hard starting every now and then. It was not often, but it was often enough where I thought in my mind, if I was new to fountain pens or if I was really trying to scrutinize how this pen wrote, I might infer that something is wrong, but I have enough pen experience to know that this is totally normal, especially with a broad nib. You know, you're going to get a hard start every now and then when I started, I'm talking like the first letter of a word after I hadn't written for a little bit, you know, because when you have a broad nib, there's a, there's a lot of ink that's demanded right at the onset, right? So with a steel nib of a very affordable pen, it's not completely outside the realm of possibility for me to get a hard start every now and then, you know, and I would like go to start and I would just touch it again and it would be perfectly fine. So it was not anything that was alarming to me, but it was like, okay. I, I would expect this and it's worth mentioning, you know, in this setting, because I, I could imagine that other people might experience that too. Not that there's anything wrong, but, um, nib was smooth though. My goodness, like not scratchiness to it at all. Flowed great. Um, I haven't used just a straight up black ink actually in quite some time. Um, especially in a broader nib. I mean, I've, I've, I've tended to use Noodler's Black as kind of a go-to, and I do that for Nib Nook a lot, you know, and things like that. But just as a carry-around, I do have some pens that I'll keep, like, a Noodler's Black for, like, signing papers and stuff. But I'm not often just, like, carrying that around and using that all the time. So it was interesting for me to, like, have no change. Like, this is a very dark ink, and it's just flat black, you know? And it was just, like, that felt weird to me. It, I kind of mi yeah. I missed having like the variation of the color and the shading and stuff like that, which I think it's the kind of thing, like if you really like that, go with a darker black. The Twisby black seems to kind of fit that bill. No crazy properties or anything. It dried great. Dry time was fine. Um, I did notice that when I had my, so I used it on my Leuchtturm and my um, Tomoe River paper that I had in my Goulet notebook. Um, on the Tomoe River paper, I, I had to be conscious right after I'd taken some notes that, you know, it was going to be wet for a little bit. So I, I did keep like a, I think I kept like a napkin or something I grabbed off the kitchen table and I just like kept it in between and kind of closed it on it just so it wouldn't smear. So I, I was conscious that that would happen um, if I just didn't think about it on a paper that's that ink resistant. Um, but that would be with any broad nib. I mean, that's not anything specific to the Twisby. 
Um, I experienced the same thing you did in that um, the clip is basically aesthetic and it will maybe keep it from rolling off your desk, but it doesn't actually clip to anything. So me, I carried it around in my pocket like I did with the Travelers, but I couldn't clip it to the pocket. So, you know, I talked about this when I had the, the Traveler's pen, how it's great because it's so short that when you carry it in your pocket, you don't feel it because it's not like long enough to feel that bend. Like when you have a cell phone in your pocket and you feel the pressure from that long straight object. I did feel that more because it was sitting down deeper in my pocket. So as I was moving around a bit, I, I felt this more in my pocket. It was clanging up against my keys. I did get some light scratches on it just because I did not give any Fs about how I was taking yeah. care of this thing because I wanted to see what it would do. So yeah. even just from a week of carrying it around, I got micro scratches all over this bad boy. So that's totally going to happen on a flat, shiny pen. Um, and then when I was, uh, I was on Saturday, I was helping somebody move and I was in 95 degree heat. I was up and down stairs lifting stuff you know boxes on my hips and stuff like that i took the pen out of my pocket because i was like this is just not comfortable you know so i took it out and i left it in my truck which had like i mean it was a hundred plus degrees in the cab of the truck and i was like yeah you know what let me see what happens to this thing if i just like you know jostle it around leave it in a hot car that type of thing it was perfectly fine you know i would expect that with a cartridge pen but this is a big cartridge pen, you know, this is probably... It is a big cartridge, yeah, big converter, too. You're going to potentially have maybe some of the ink-like burping issues you might have, you know, being like super extreme heat, bringing it inside air conditioning, moving it around. You might experience some of those things like you might with certain piston pens or eyedropper pens because of the capacity of this cartridge. Um, but I did not experience any of that. It was perfectly fine, not even... But it is, but it is mostly full, right it, it was mostly full it was mostly full that's true so that had something to do with it for sure that definitely helps yeah, absolutely i was able to get like i tried to put the clip in the middle of my um uh uh, uh koozie pouch here and okay. it just it just drags the pocket down yeah. but if i move it over to the corner i could get it in um but not not at all easily so yeah. it definitely is uh i mean yeah it's it's, it's in there but so you can get in there without having to. I mean, man, like look at that is. It's tight. Yeah, it's very tight. Un, un unhelpfully tight. Yeah. I would almost consider it to be a clipless pen. But yeah, yeah so much. overall, my experience was really, really positive. I am such a big fan of the Eco and the 580. I don't know that this pen would unseat the Eco as the go-to gift pen for me because. Yeah, tell me part, why. Part of what I really love about the Eco and the 580 is that unimpeded visibility to the like ink sloshing around inside the pen. A lot of the people at this point in my life that I end up giving pens to are like business associates and people like that. And uh, one of the things that wows them the most about a fountain pen is them being able to see the ink sloshing around because it just stands out so much from a normal pen so the eco has actually long been a favorite gift pen of mine for business folk um and i don't think this pen is going to unseat that for me but i could absolutely see this being a great pen especially for like kids and and stuff like that um you know people that are newer to it uh i would i i, I completely agree with your assessment that it could be a great starter pen yeah when i was using it i i just thought about if I was given this pen and I never ended up in my life working for a fountain pen company and this is the mm. pen that I was given, I want to say that like this would be 
like this could absolutely be my pen. This little twenty dollar, you know, Twisby pen. Like wow. I could just, I could just have this pen. Like it, it was fun to use. Now, what it would end up being would be just the entry into the fountain pen rabbit hole for me. Yeah, but it would. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. Yep. But I was really happy with it, and I'm really glad I got an opportunity to use it for a week. Awesome. Good stuff. And this was this was one of the two pens we had in like the uh, kind of customer care library where you know they're easily referenceable pens for customer service purposes. And we have two. I don't know if we really need two in there. I think one's just fine. Oh, are you trying? Right? So, are you trying to this literally? One, this one doesn't. You trying to literally swipe the pen from the library room? Is that what you're trying to do right now? All right, we'll uh, talk. We'll talk. You, the, you may the Twisby swiped. <laughs> you may have earned it. We'll talk. We'll talk offline. How about that? We'll work something out. Um, uh, it's a good pen though. I was happy with it. Good stuff. Well, we definitely would love to hear any of you that you have experience with it, or if you have opinions on anything we said, please share. That's part of what's great about this whole format. Um, now what we need to do Drew, is pick our pen for next week. So, uh, you know, I was thinking we went a little more of the affordable route on this one in the newer pen. I thought we would maybe go to a little more of a standby, something maybe a little higher end. And you had mentioned a pen that you recently acquired, which is your doo-doo brown diplomat arrow it's not doo-doo brown this is <laughs> a delightful like macchiato this is it's you true. know what it is this is hot this is hot chocolate this is what this it is. does this is look hot like hot chocolate, chocolate. yeah and just for all of you listeners and viewers mm. out there i actually don't hate brown that much i just love no he just hates me i just love Ryle getting drew riled up <laughs> so i really enjoy that hey oh hi ellie hey <laughs> here's ellie everybody this is how tall she is compared to me now. <laughs> well, you're standing on a platform thing. Well, I'm standing on a cushion. Yeah. There you go. Hi. <laughs> Just want to say hi to everybody. Oh, boop. <laughs> All right. Thanks, dear. <laughs> That's Ellie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Do you remember my early videos where she like wasn't even born or was a newborn? Yeah. That's she's she wears the same size shoe as Rachel now, which is crazy. And she takes Rachel's shoes all the time. <laughs> she'll take my shoes too, but they don't fit her quite as well. She doesn't like wear them on public, but she'll definitely wear them to like walk to the mailbox or whatever. Uh, oh, that's great. Anyway. Yeah. So back to what I was saying, I don't actually hate brown that much. Actually, there's a lot of browns that I think look really good. This is one I think looks really good. Um, I just yeah. love to get Drew riled up and that's one of the ways I can push his buttons. So anyway. Uh, yeah, cool. So Drew, you inspired me because the arrow has been a favorite of mine, much like your diamond green black. I have several arrows. I have not used them for a little bit. So I kind of took inspiration from you. I was like, why don't you use that new pen that you've got? I'm going to pull out my orange arrow, which is the first arrow I ever had. It's the most popular color that we carry. Um, and I really like it. I'm not like a diehard orange fan either, but I do really like this orange. So, um, and then I pulled it out and I was like, yep, sure enough. It's got ink in it and it's crusty because I left it in there and did not clean it out. So I was like, you know what? It needs to be cleaned anyway. Look at all that. I don't know what that is in there, but it ain't, oh. it ain't much because it's probably some hyper-concentrated, you know, ink that has completely, it's been probably two years maybe since I've inked this pen. So there's something, there's something, you know, unnatural in this, in this pen body right now. Let me <laughs> see if I can even tell what color it is. It looks dark. Well, I was, uh, I was happy with, um, 
a couple of recommendations that we got in our uh, last video, some browns that got recommended to me, and uh, one that got recommended and one that I had in mind because I've been it's been a favorite for a while has been Noodler's Beaver, and that is ultimately oh, yeah. what I chose. So that flies a, uh, that flies under the radar a lot. People don't talk about that ink yeah. very much. It's a nice lighter brown, uh, but not too light. Yeah. Um, okay. So see now you're going matchy matchy. Should I go with an orange? To match this pen, I feel like I should, but hmm. I don't know. I, I have. Well, you know what? Like you, you use that. Use that to at least narrow it down. You know, okay. go with you go with like some sort of orangish. Okay, I'm gonna color. go with an orangish. I'm gonna see what I have here at home. That way, I can like ink it up and get it going right away. So I don't know what that ink is gonna be right at this moment, but I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna decide. So I'll go with something orange. Something orange. There we go. Cool. All right. So we'll use that for the next week. We'll let you know what we think about our respective uh, things. What nib size is yours, Drew, by the way? Uh, I believe this one is a fine. Fine? Is that yeah. steel or 18K? Or oh, 14, come on 14K? now. It's a steel. Don't... It's steel. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. Wait, do you have a gold nib on no, yours? No, no, no. Mine's steel. Mine's steel. Oh, all right. You better not. Mine's a medium nib. There you go. Mine's a medium nib. God, it's such a good looking nib, isn't it? I do like it. I love that imprint. I do like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, you know what, Drew? I might have a custom grind on this one. Oh, interesting. I believe this one might be, um, was it with Gina that we did the custom grinds on this? This might be a... Oh, yes. This and might she be did, a and we did... Curse of Italic medium. Yep. And then they were on the orange. Hey-oh. Okay. Well, special treat for me then. It was buried yeah. under all this crustification on the end, but I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, God. That's not the regular medium. Okay. Well, that's fun. Well, I'll, I'll use worst. that the next week. That'll be good. That'll give me motivation to cool. actually clean it out. Instead of just because, yeah, Drew, I you this um, this may or may not surprise you, but when a when I've wanted to use a pen like this, and I have another one, I totally have like just swapped out the guts and taken a crusty, uncleaned insides and put it in another color, and then taken the clean one and put God, it in for shame. The one. I'm terrible. I know, and and that's okay. We we uh <laughs> we still have the custom grind orange arrow on the site, but we are currently out of stock. So okay. If, Fair if it was on the site, if we if, if it was going to be gone forever, we wouldn't have it on the site. So we'll right. get some more one day. Yeah, Gina's backed up. So it's all. not. It, yeah, your 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 uh, feedback and view on this nib will still be relevant to someone in the future. Cool. All right, let's keep moving it along. We are moving, filling lots of good time today. Um, so let's talk about what is happening in our lives. Drew, you talked about doodling. Yeah, well, I did some journaling over the weekend. We had a pool event that um, we attended, uh, not knowing how many people were going to be there. Uh, I got there, and the wife and kid jump in. I'm like, no, no, there's like more than two people in there. I will sit and not get no, no. I will doodle. So I had a I had some poolside journaling, which means I sat outside by the pool until I got mad at the the environment. The, the sun sun specifically and then i went inside so it was great that that's that's a great day at the pool for old drew brown wow. but uh, yeah i pretty much just you know doodling and drawing and stuff um at that point i still was using my sailor from last week okay but um god i still i still been loving that so i did do some doodling there that was a lot of fun and um eventually a fellow introvert joined me and uh, my friend jim and i we had some good conversation while everybody else played in the pool too many people too many people in the pool no thank you i'm sure you're not the first fountain pen person to stay inside while others are outside in a pool 
nah <laughs> i've got my i've got my people out there there you go um and then of course uh we're filming this on wednesday tomorrow thursday will be uh my time to meet my son archer's second grade teacher for the first time and hey. see his classroom so we're going to do that and like many parents out there brian included i am uh just measuring and balancing feelings of eagerness excitement for the kid prepping and that whole like kind of back to school vibe that's normally pretty positive saving some money on uh the summer fees that uh, i'm having to pay right now Mm -hmm. while also balancing the fear terror and just absolute uncertainty of a completely unprecedented beginning of the school year so not exactly sure how to feel about that whole thing so but lots of lots of stuff happening in my brains yeah we're right now about that we're all in that together we're all feeling that real hard right now um yeah because yeah a lot of us a lot of us in our local area are starting the kids are starting school next week some started this week others are next week so it'll be an interesting experience definitely the anxiety level has been quite high i'm right there with you our kids got their teacher assignments um actually right now as we're recording this rachel is going to be taking joseph to his open house and you know it's like i i kind of wish that i could go with him but because of all the covid restrictions and stuff they say only one parent can take the kid to the school and he's not going to get to meet his teacher you know so he can get to see the school but you know so it's just everything is just different and you know different than when we grew up or different than what we expected or what we hoped for or whatever and it's just you know that's just probably the hardest thing as a parent right now is like we're excited for our kids but we don't really know how to like prepare them for this thing because we don't really know what's happening and it's it's our kids have been actually amazingly resilient through it all and they have they have great attitudes and all that kind of stuff but you know it's like ellie she had one friend who they you know they were all virtual last year so they didn't really get to see their friends much she was so excited to go back which has all the combination anxieties and excitements that you're talking about um but she found out that her best friend is going to be getting homeschooled this year kind of at the last minute just because they have they have you know family like health issues and stuff like that that are kind of requiring that so she's understandably upset but taking it really well actually so it's a mixture of everything that everybody's feeling um so we're just kind of like in all of that um i already mentioned earlier in this broadcast that my battle with the inflatable pool as I've at least won the battle, I have not won the war. I know how it's going to turn out in the end, but at least for now, what ended up happening, so I've got some of these like patches that you get for like infl- inflatable like rafts and stuff like that. It's like a special type yeah. of patch. So I did that, didn't quite hold. So literally I was like at my wits end and I just took packaging tape, like just that clear tape. And I put that over top of the patches because I'd already blown up the pool. The kids were like already playing in it, but I could tell that it was still losing its gusto. So I was like, I can't like deflate the pool and go through the whole thing. So I was like, screw it. So I just like, like huge swaths of that clear packing tape just in a desperate attempt. And it's been holding for like a week now. And I'm like, awesome. Now, as soon as I go to take the pool down, that stuff's not going to hold and it's going to be a nightmare. So I'm going to have to like, keep track of where all the holes are and put packaging tape on it every time I do it. But I'm like, you know what? It's the end of the summer. The kids are starting school. This is probably the last hurrah. I was literally just trying to make it to the finish line and it worked. So very pumped about that. 
Um, nice. And then this is another just weird thing. It seems like just everything is just like a little bit harder than it should be, you know, with all our just normal life. So we recorded the pencast last week. As soon as we finished recording, I started uploading. So we're recording remotely, but these files get pretty big, 60, 70 gigabytes, you know, and it's a lot to upload. And we got to put it, stitch them together, edit them, all that kind of stuff. We're slinging some pretty meaningful files around. And, you know, being at home, I only have so many options for internet speed. And I was just bumping up against that. I mean, literally, I think it was what, four or five attempts drew that I had to upload this footage from last week. It kept failing, kept hanging up through the night, all that kind of stuff. I eventually had to go into work on Thursday to upload the footage. Even then, it hung up and didn't work. I was like, this thing is cursed. So I had to go to Drew's computer in the office and upload it because I had a laptop and I had to go back home. Finally, we were able to get it up there. I think it was after the fifth attempt and then had to edit it Friday morning, which we try to do it on Thursday. It's a whole thing. So I replaced my modem, upgraded my internet speed, and we're going to find out this week if that actually helps with the whole upload thing of the pencast because it's, it's honestly just not looking like we're, everything's going to go back to normal next week. We might be in this for a while. So I'm like, you know what? Let me just friggin' go and just try to address this thing. But this is my last ditch attempt. It's literally the fastest internet that we can get where we live. So yeah, this is going to, this is as good as it's going to be. So I hope it's good enough, but we'll, 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 we'll get it to function. At least my kids won't also be on virtual school with their calls while we're trying to do our own video calls while we're trying to upload footage. Crazy times right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on to company updates. Uh, a couple of just, you know, inside baseball type things. We're doing a little rearranging in our office where photographers are going to be getting a little different studio space. So we've been you know, we got this like beautiful blue wall that is going to make all of their images look blue if they <laughs> If they end up moving there, so we got to paint that wall, you know, just finding a painter and everything has been like moving the earth. Um, but, uh, all that's coordinated and it's going to be happening soon. So, uh, won't really impact you all very much, but it is definitely something that's going on. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, also, we, I had a, uh, I had an entertaining moment with Rachel cause she came by to kind of help, you know, uh, stage the office for the rearranging okay, and uh, yeah. she was just going, going, going through a bunch of old crap. And there were these three like laundry baskets that I guess had once held like photo props or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't get them apart. So she and I are like tugging these things on either angle, like just totally expecting both of us to just like fly back and like land on the ground. Luckily that didn't happen. But um, the last one that we pulled apart, all of these like old crusty leaves or like some sort of organic material just like all over the floor just covered the carpet wow and and uh i think we found out that they were like old flower petals that were once used for a shoot or something like that they were everywhere they looked just like oh my gosh brown crunchy bits of junk and we were just like what is this what happened but it just like because we pulled it apart and then all of a sudden just poof, it's like just it's like everywhere like of old dead flower petals oh god it was awful <laughs> that's really funny she did not tell me about that that's, that's yeah quite amusing yeah. oh my goodness yeah it's been an experience i mean we've been in our space now for over four years so uh i guess is the first like really meaningful like move that we've even done within the building since we moved in oh i'm pretty sure these i'm sure pretty sure these bins were still stuck together when we moved into this place uh, I, that, I don't that, think that could they, very well be that could be yeah older than that yeah Probably, uh, but that's pretty fun. And then, uh, you know, we are we are retiring some of our original packing tables. You know, so we've we've packed many, many, many orders on these tables. These are things that I built like 
over a decade ago that we had in the garage and then in the first space that we were in, they have more than stood the test of time. And quite frankly, they're just massive. You know, we've changed our process quite a bit over the years. We were still using the same tables because they were fine, but we we want, we opted, especially with COVID procedures and just having separate packing stations that people aren't having to share and stuff like that. We we have more packing tables that are smaller. So we are retiring some of the original packing tables that I built with my own two hands. Uh, so it's a little, little emotional at moments, but also it was like, okay, yeah, these things have definitely served their purpose. <laughs> so it's fine for them to move on. So yeah, a little bit of just like moving things around inside the building, which is always kind of fun. Um, and then just a little heads up here. So we are going to be uh, closed our, our whole office is going to be closed this coming Monday for Labor Day, um, as is not super unexpected for a lot of companies in the U.S., but uh, um, that'll be our case. If you order something, you know, from the time you might watch this video on Friday through uh, Tuesday, you know, any order won't be shipping until Tuesday again. And same with emails and live chats and all these types of things. So that's a thing. And then uh, I just wanted to quickly mentioned in the personal message in their newsletter this week, which I already did. Um, just the fact that we're not going to do a whole lot of like crazy sales and stuff, you know, black Friday sales, all that type of stuff, uh, coming this holiday season, the keeping things smooth and steady and predictable is going to be the name of the game for us because we're just, none of us have a lot of extra bandwidth emotionally, physically, whatever, you know, and we're dealing with just craziness with shipping delays and unpredictability of, literally every raw material we use in our business, cleaning supplies, packing tape, all these things, stuff, random stuff is just getting backordered, you know, all over the place and we can never predict it. So we're just going to try to keep things smooth and steady. So you're not going to see just a lot of just crazy things happening from us this year, but we are going to try to provide you the most consistent, you know, experience that you would expect from us. Um, so I'm kind of getting that messaging out now because as we get more into the holiday season, you know, we get a lot of new people that come and they're like, what do y'all have on sale right now? And it's like, we're not doing sales. We're not, da, 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 da. you know, keep it calm. So if y'all can help share that message out as other people are asking about it on social and whatnot, you know, kind of help cover the whatever social space with us, you know, that'll only help. So we'll probably, you know, celebrate, you know, in some way, shape or form, you know, certain events, Fountain Pen yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do something, but we're not... We're not going to do our, like our, door our, our main focus is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our objective is to, going to be to learn from last year yeah. and to make sure that we can provide you with, last year, you know, last what, year you, was, what you need. Last year was pretty smooth. We kind of did a similar approach last year. And basically, we're going to kind of do like we did last year, so... But last year, we also saw insane mail related delays and unfortunately which we could see again yeah yeah unfortunately staffing in the united states right now as you know in other countries is not at all uh looking like it's going to be uh conducive to a massive influx of holiday orders right now it's not something we're gonna hedge our bets on we'll have to see how it goes yeah so place bets yeah we'll talk about it more as time goes on it is only the beginning of September, but still, we are trying to think about it well ahead of time. All yep. right. Um, what's on our desk, Drew? We had some notes in here, but we can also move it along because we're yep. over on my, time. My, my, brown, my brown arrow. Yeah, I did want to just briefly mention because we might talk about these a little bit more next time too. Um, so I mentioned last time how I had all this stuff sitting on my desk at the office. Well, I actually went to the office and I got them. So I have 
Um, the three new colors of the Diplomat Arrow, the orange, purple, and blue, which are the nice translucent kind of things, which are kind of cool. And then all of the preppy was. So we've got all these. These are going to be limited. These are going to be around a little longer. Um, but anyway, so if you're interested in these, go check them out. But uh, I might, you know, test them out, play with them a little bit. But they look really good. I got to say, the designs on these preppy was are really cool. Like, I dig, I dig this look. It's better than like the old preppies, you know, that just had a big old barcode on it. <laughs> and that was the design. And the giant preppy and then a bunch of Japanese on the other side. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, that this is a just much covered with words. This is a much more intentional design. It's worth a dollar more, you know, for this kind of design. Absolutely. So, pretty cool. It's nice to have nice to have some new fun colors and stuff. All right. And that's what we got. So another pen cast in the history books. Thank you all for watching and putting up with us. Love your feedback. Please leave us comments. Let us know what questions you have. Lots of just great comments. I think we had like over 200 comments on the last video. It's so just wonderful. Just really warms my heart to read your comments that you all have. And it's such an encouraging community. I'm, sometimes I double check and I'm like, is this really YouTube? Because the rest of YouTube does not behave like this. We are just in a little oasis and I never take that for granted. Um, definitely check out GoodlyPens.com for all of the pens, ink, paper needs that you have. A lot of things we've talked about here. If you're listening to us in audio form, uh, by all means, you can email us at pencast at GoodlyPens.com and we may read those someday. And my random fun fact, since we are coming towards the tail end of summer here, Drew, I thought I would throw a random summer fact in here. Um, if you've ever heard the term dog days of summer, um, yeah. I've heard of that. I never actually really knew what it meant, but, um, yeah, it turns out it actually originates from astronomy. So I know you like space things. Um, so I was like, I'll bring this fact up. Maybe he'll care. Maybe not. Um, so apparently the dog days of summer phrase was not inspired by lethargic overheated pups. It was the dog in question is Sirius, the dog star which rises in the sky during late July as part of the greater dog constellation. According to National Geographic, to the Greeks and the Romans, the dog days indicated the hottest time of the year, a period that was said to bring fever and other types of catastrophe. So apparently the dog days of summer are related to heat, exhaustion, and catastrophe that correlate to the greater dog constellation. So... Who knew? thought that was kind of a random interesting fact. Not that we're in the dog days of summer at this point, but... Or if you're in the southern hemisphere, it would be the dog days of winter, I guess. But here we are. Fun random facts. <laughs> if you've listened this long... Okay. If you've listened this long, you clearly... You know, no one has have, listened this long. You clearly have nothing better to do. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You might, but thank you. We honor yeah, your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week, and right on.